Welcome to another production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Today your host is Dr. Jan Bedell. She is an educator, author, curriculum designer, and a specialist in neural development. Dr. Jan has spent 20 years encouraging, educating, and inspiring families through her company, Little Giant Steps. So, whether you have a typical, gifted, or struggling learner, these weekly Brain Coach tips will help you discover foundational keys to make learning and life easier through the neurodevelopmental approach. And now, welcome your host for today. Hello everyone, and welcome to this week's Brain Coach Tip. I'm Jan Bedell, otherwise known as the Little Giant Steps Brain Coach. I am so glad you're here to continue the journey to learn, be encouraged, and become equipped with practical information you can use each and every day to apply the neurodevelopmental approach to life with your family. Since the brain controls everything we do, doesn't it make sense to use the natural developmental steps God put in place to benefit each member of your family? Please share this link to the podcast so people that you know and love can benefit from this life-changing message. Today we're going to be talking about dyslexia. Dyslexia has many varied forms and many extremes, but you have to ask yourself, do I have to do the same thing, the coping and compensating that everybody else talks about? Well, we have talked about thinking differently, right? So what I want you to do is know that the neurodevelopmental approach works with the root causes, not that coping and compensating. So I want you to remember that the brain controls everything you do so that we have to start there. We're going to review what we've talked about before as far as the steps to learning. The first thing that has to happen is your brain has to be organized. That's your lower level movement, your cross pattern movement that develops when you're young, but can be developed at any age as well, in case it was missed. Then you've got the four steps of learning. The first one is receiving information. This is where information comes in to your brain through your senses. The three main ones are auditory, visual, and tactile. That's actually where the learning styles come from. It's information most efficiently coming in through a particular channel. As you know, we emphasize you being good at all those different things because certain information needs to come in certain ways. This is your short-term memory. We have both auditory and visual short-term memory, and we talked extensively last week about auditory, so I want to encourage you to go back and listen to that one. The third step is storage of information. Where does that information go when it comes in? You want it to be put in the most efficient place so that it can come out. Then step four is using that information. That's where you're usually involved with your child. But if in, there's glitches in any of these other areas, there's a problem. Let's talk specifically about storage today. When you look at dominance, you have to start with the hand. You have an eye that's dominant, an ear that's dominant, and a foot that's dominant. This doesn't mean you're not using the other eye, ear, or foot, but there's one that the brain chooses to be dominant so that the information is stored in the right place. You have to start with the hand because the hand is genetic. You are predisposed to be left-handed or right-handed due to your genetics. So it's important not to influence the handedness of a young child. 
you know, earlier and earlier, we're putting pencils and crayons and things like that in children's hands, and that often influences their dominance. There's even some people that are prejudiced against a certain hand, and they influence a hand. Just let your child develop the hand that they're supposed to have, because God knows which one that is. With my dad, they actually had him sit on his left hand when he was in school, Either that or they slapped it and made him write with the right. This can cause a lot of different challenges. Today, I thought it would be really great to bring in a friend of mine named Alan Bias. We've been friends for a long time. He's a pastor and has actually written a book as well. But we wanted to talk today about his experience with being dyslexic. So I'm just going to Turn it over to Alan to tell us a little bit about his story so that you may see what it's like if your child has dyslexia or you may be resonating with this as you have dyslexia yourself. So Alan, welcome. Thank you, Jan. Yeah, for for me, um, I was I spent a little time thinking about this since I knew I'd be talking with you. And yeah, so I was born October 1st. And so when the school year would start, I had a choice to either, like, let's say everybody was six and turning seven during the school year. Well, my parents decided to start me early because everyone said that they could tell I was a really smart little kid. And so, like, if everybody was six turning seven, I would actually be five and then turn six October 1st. So I was, like, one of the youngest ones in my class when I started. But they, they did it because they thought... Oh man, this your kid is really sharp. And then my earliest memories were really just being very confused because spelling. Spelling was the first thing. Because I would study these spelling words and my mother would quiz me and I'd get them right. And then the next day I'd go to school and get them wrong. Well, actually the next day I'd go to school, I'd take the test. And I'd be pretty confident that, okay, now this is good. I'm going to get a good grade. Then I'd get the paper back, and it was like I got somebody else's paper. It was it was literally like I was looking at the paper for the first time. And like, okay, this isn't the paper I turned in, but it's clearly my handwriting. I signed it, and they're all wrong. And it was just very confusing. My mother even took it upon herself to personally solve this spelling issue. And I just remember staying up so, what seemed like so late at night and just crying and being upset because she would say, we're gonna do this over and over again until you get them all right two times in a row. And so I would, and then I'd go to school the next day and I'd spell everything out. And so if it was cat, it'd be C-A-T, I'd look at it, okay, that's right. I get the paperback and I spell cat A-T-C. And it was like, I didn't do that. But clearly it's there. And it was just very confusing. And then math started becoming a big problem. And so in fifth grade, they decided uh, to hold me back. So I would go from being one of the youngest in the class to one of the oldest. So now if everyone's 12 years old turning 13, I would start school year at 12 and turned 13 right away October 1st. So they thought that would fix it. Now I'm one of the oldest in the class, maybe, you know, give me a little more maturity. But, you know, it, it didn't work. I still kept struggling, constantly struggling. 
with spelling and math. And so I just bumped along and did the best I could and became best friends with the math teachers all the time. And uh, they knew I was working hard because I was always in there for all the tutorials. I would stay late, come early, and yet they saw that I was no good at math. So I think I got the equivalent of social promotions in math up until my uh, junior year of high school. So all this happened all the way to the junior high school, the confusion, the not understanding why writing something out and getting it back and like, just like, that doesn't look like what I wrote, but I guess it was. And finally, an English teacher, my beginning of my junior year, said, you have dyslexia. He said, my daughter has dyslexia. I can tell you have dyslexia. So this would have been in... So I graduated, so 81, 82, it would be 79, 80. So this would be 1979. And so this would have been some real cutting-edge, stinking stuff. And he arranged for me to take some tests. I took all these battery of tests down at the office. And they were like, you know, you're real smart. You have above-average IQ. Told me all the good news. I said, the bad news is you're dyslexic. And so that's when they were like, you reverse letters and you flip them around and but it's not consistent so you can look at the same word four times and see a different spelling of that word four times and i was just what <laughs> could that be i don't want so what do we do and so they put me in the special ed class and asked the special ed teacher to figure it out and so one class uh, one class period a day i would go to the special ed class and they would give me different exercises to try to figure this out. And finally, after a semester of that, they weren't getting any results. There was nothing that was happening. They had other kids that they had to give far more attention to. So they literally told me, just get a secretary and a calculator and you'll be fine. And that's the last counsel I got at the end of my junior year going into my senior year was... Uh, you know, you're a real smart guy, get a calculator, a secretary, you'll do fine in life. So, Alan, you're explaining the storage issue that I was just talking about. Things were not really going into the right place for you to be able to bring them back out, even though you had worked and worked and worked. So if you have a child that has these issues, it may not be that they're not performing or they're trying to hold information back from you. It's just a matter of they can't bring it back out correctly. Yeah. Okay. So do you have, let's talk about your handedness a little bit. Sure. At Little Giant Steps, we do evaluations to find out where the glitches are coming from because we believe that over time, enough people have developed these issues that they have found a label for them and your label was dyslexia yes so our belief is that each one of those things has a root cause the each one of those labels so in an evaluation we find out where some root causes are and I did do an evaluation on you yes you have and what do we find out about your hand well I was born I was made by God to be left hand dominant but I was taught to be right-hand dominant. And so I've been using my right hand as my dominant hand since I was taught that way. So what kind of challenges do you think that that particular thing has brought to you? 
I I don't know cause I don't I don't ever remember even being taught to be right-handed, but obviously in the evaluation it was it became real obvious that I you know God made me to be left-handed. So I don't I don't I don't remember any challenges. But you'd have to tell me what challenges would that bring up. Well, one one thing that we've probably talked about over time is when you go against the genetic grain, everything is just harder. You just have to work harder, and you have to try to do more to get minimal re results, which is what happened with your grades and everything. But what about emotionality? Do you have? Uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I've already, I've, I've always been just uh, right on the edge in terms of anxiety. Some people call it high strung or something, or maybe even type A. Um, but yeah, it wasn't until we started talking, you started saying that using the wrong hand, going against your genetics in terms of the dominance of your hand is going to create a sort of a noise floor of anxiety that's just, I mean, in other words, your baseline level of anxiety is going to be consistently higher than anyone else's baseline. And then you add on the actual anxieties of life on top of that. And so you can actually, yeah you can end up being very high strung. <laughs> yeah, what we've seen is these children and even adults that have this dominance issue, especially if it's their hand, they're usually easily upset, hard to calm down, and uh, little things, you know, they kind of live on the edge. It's, and when they're under stress, like in a testing situation, then they don't have access to what they know at all. So it really makes it difficult to take tests. That's why one of the requirements for this is to be able to uh, take a non-time test because that adds extra pressure. So in the evaluation that we do, we do some individual evaluations and help determine about handedness and then give people a program to do at home to try to fix all of these different glitches that are happening. If it's a hand issue, if your child is still mixed-handed, you probably do want to have some professional help. We also have distance programs where we look at a history form, and based on that, we can tell at least the basic things that need to happen as far as your brain organization, and we can write an individualized program with that program as well. But if you want to just kind of get your feet wet, and uh, try to look at organizing the brain and look at how the brain receives processes and stores and get that kind of input for a child or even a family that could do it as a group, you would look at the developmental foundations. That's a product that we have that uh, can really help with some of these root causes. Now it's not going to be the whole solution to dyslexia, but it's going to be a good start. Ellen, can I ask you how this would affect your family dynamics, like at home with your family? Um, growing up? Yes. Oh, well, it was, it was awful because, uh, I mean, initially it was, well, you just must not be studying, you're lazy. So then it's, uh, okay, we're going to emphasize studying more, you know, don't talk to your brothers, go sit over there because you, you, you're not concentrating hard enough. That must be it. So we're going to isolate you and let you study 
Porn stars are quiet, and you know they just did what any parent would. They, they just tried to figure out what was going on, so, so that their kid, who everybody was saying was so smart, can't spell basic words. You know, can't do basic math, and so yeah, it was a, it was awful. Like I said, my mother then you know, okay, well I'm going to drill you on these words, and and you're going to spell them that way, and it was just. One experiment after another with a lot of stress leading up to report card time. And, you know, sure enough, you get some terrible grade in reading or spelling or whatever. And then you don't want to come home and on and on and on. And then back when back when they uh, held me back in fifth grade, I mean, it was called flunking. <laughs> it was no political correct talk. It was you flunked. And uh, you were going to the same elementary school the next year and doing the same grade over again because you flunked. And so for a 12-year-old, the stigma attached with flunking and having to do it over again was nothing but, the, you know, the stupid kids flunk. And so it was, it was a horrible family dynamic and personally in every other way. So it really doesn't have to do with intelligence. From what we know, it's... How efficient is the brain working? So even though you've had these obstacles, I know you have said to me that dyslexia is really not a gift, but God has used those things in you, maybe trials, to write a book. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I, I wrote a book called Walking with God in a World Gone Busy. And it's funny because I had to, because I lived life with workarounds. Basically, I had to look at all of life as one big workaround because I couldn't just study and recall and get good grades on a test like normal kids. So like even in college, I worked more jobs than the average kid with work study so I could afford to buy lots of pizza because I would have study parties over at my dorm room if everybody would read the chapters out loud because then I could listen and take notes and I did far better if I could find other college kids who would read everything they were supposed to read out loud for me but I didn't say it that way because it wouldn't have been cool so I just said hey study group in my house I'm having the pizza and so looking at all the world as a workaround it, I, I approach things very differently and so as a pastor I just started noticing a lot of the issues people had in their lives and I started noticing that multitasking was picking up and it seemed to be some kind of correlation with how busy we were getting and multitasking and these little devices we have in our hand that we're always messing with even in the midst of conversations and I pull all that together in an interesting way which we can talk about next week right Yes, would you come back and tell us more about that? Yes, I will talk about my book next week and uh, the interesting way I'm, I've approached life and especially the modern world of busyness and distractions so that we can gain our sanity back in the way we do things. So we can talk about that next week. Okay. Next week, let's talk about your book. And then the week after that, I'm going to delve more into the other aspects of dyslexia besides just handedness that can help revolutionize and change your life so that you don't have to 
deal with all the things that Alan's had to do. So for now, my prayer is that this important information encourages you to stay tuned to the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network for more of these brain training tips to make life and learning easier. For now, it's the Brain Coach signing off and reminding you that neurodevelopment is a dynamic approach to life. So think differently. The solution is not in the problem. Thank you for your time and attention. We hope and pray you'll return next week for another session with Dr. Jan Bedell, the Brain Coach. The ND Approach for Life is a proven program to increase learning performance naturally. Little Giant Steps is there for you. If you have questions for the Brain Coach to incorporate the skills and techniques taught in our podcast, please email cj at littlegiantsteps.com. That's C as in cat, J as in joy, at littlegiantsteps, all one word, dot com. So until next time, may the good Lord bless and keep you. Thank you.